today we start a new teaching series. I want to read the passage of Scripture. Read the passage of Scripture for the morning, and you can just stand in honor of God's Word. And uh, this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Start a new teaching series called Collision. We'll be focusing the next four weeks on this particular topic I'll be outlining today. But just uh, open up your hearts. The words will be on the screen. And let's just take a moment and listen to, uh, to God's Word today. On one of those days, as he, that's Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, everybody say, behold. And behold, that means pay attention, look what's happening. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when, they, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. How many people can believe that when you leave this morning, you and I are going to be saying the same thing? We have seen extraordinary things today. Would you pray with me? We have seen extraordinary things today. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your presence. I'm so grateful that we get to gather as a church and just honor you in this new year. I pray that you would anoint your word. You know I need your help to communicate this today. So I pray, give me your grace to communicate it with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You can, before you sit down, come on, look to somebody around you and say hi. Just say hi. Maybe somebody you don't know. To your left, to your right, say hello and uh, find yourself a seat. And then you can officially be seated. Thank you for staying with me through all that. So we start a new teaching series today. We're focusing on this topic of collision. <clears throat> and if you'd like to take notes, the title of today's sermon is Through the Roof. Through the Roof. The Roof. I can't take credit for that. Nancy Silva came up with that title. But uh, the title of today's sermon is Through the Roof. Through the Roof. Yeah, a little shout out for Nancy. And so, uh, so that's what we're calling today. Did you have a good holiday? Did you? I hope you did. I hope you took some time off. I hope you rested. I hope you participated in communion over Christmas. And I hope you had a, a great uh, New Year celebration and all that. I know for me, uh, you know, the, the holidays is always fun for the Kendrick family. We have three boys. And, and when it's really cold outside or rainy or wet or muddy and uh, we're all trapped inside, uh, three boys and a dad get into a whole lot of trouble. Somebody say amen. It's true. I mean, it's just the way it is. And so me and my kids were trying to figure out things to do that didn't require, you know, patching a wall later. And, uh, and so we were just thinking of all different things. And one of the things my two older kids came up with is, hey, why don't we run from the two sides of the living room, smash into each other, and daddy, you can film it and do it in slow-mo on your iPhone. And then we'll watch it after and, uh, and watch each other smash, you know, one into the other. And so that's exactly what we did. And, uh, and one would run from one side, one from the other, and they would 
would run and they would go, oh, and they would boom, hit each other as hard as they could. And I would film it and you'd watch them as they went, you know, like into the slow-mo. It was incredible. So that's what Kendricks do on holidays where we're stuck inside. And it was great. Uh, there's something amazing about a good collision. You know what I mean? A good collision. This word collide or collision, it really just means for two things or maybe more to crash into each other, right? And we are very familiar with this phrase because in the last 200 years of human history, things keep moving faster, right? Everything's moving faster, and so cars are moving faster, and trains are moving faster, and life is moving faster, and so because things are moving faster, things collide more often. I was, uh, I was on the internet the other day, and I watched as a person jumped out of an airplane, because people do that for fun now, jumped out of an airplane and accidentally collided with another airplane. That's unfortunate, right? I mean, all types of crazy collisions happening. I'm sure you've probably been in some type of a car accident, some type of a bumper, you know, fender bender, those type of things. Maybe you remember the story in the early 90s, very famous actor Christopher Reeve, right? You might remember Christopher Reeve. He played Superman in the old Superman movies. Christopher Reeve got into horse racing, and he was an amateur horse racer. He was at a competition, and he was doing some hurdles. And his horse jumped over the first hurdle, it jumped over the second hurdle, and then for whatever reason, on the third hurdle, his horse just stopped. And when his horse stopped, Christopher Reeve was thrown off his horse, and uh, many of you know this, that you know, know him and, and were paying attention in those days. If you were born in like 92, then you don't even know who Christopher Reeve is, but, but uh, he gets thrown off his horse, and then boom, he, he lands, and he ends up breaking his neck and in doing so, he becomes paralyzed from the waist or from the head, the neck down. He's a he's a quadriplegic. Tragic story and uh, and a very uh, very significant loss. And so uh, so that's one type of collision. But there's there's good collisions too. Not all collisions are tragic and terrible. There's also wonderful collisions where you meet someone new or where you've experienced something new. A collision with a new understanding, a new identity, a new way of thinking. When I was 16 years old, uh, I convinced one of my friends who had his license, you remember that friend who had his license in a car just a few months before you did, and they just instantly became your best friend because they had the car? You didn't have that friend? Maybe you were that friend? You're like, boy, everybody likes me now. No, it's the car. Well, my friend had an incredible old bright blue Camaro, okay, and, uh, and his name's John Tenego, still a good friend of mine, and John was just a little bit older than me, and so John had his license, and I did not, and so for whatever reason, I convinced John at 16, I said, hey, why don't we go up to this, this going away party for a mutual friend that we had that was up in Killingworth, we were in New Haven, we said, why don't we go up to this party, and he said, man, I don't want to go there, I said, man, there'll be food there. And he said, ah, I can get food here. And I said, there'll be girls there. And he said, all right, let's go. And so we went, and we got lost on the way, and, and we ended up getting there late. And I sat down on the couch when I got there, and there were a bunch of friends kind of mingling around. And I didn't know it, but that day was my date with destiny. Because I sat on that couch, and in walked a pretty little blonde 16-year-old girl. And I fell in love. I fell in love. And uh, we've been married like 150 years now. And it's been incredible. It's been awesome. What a great collision. What a great meeting. Now, there's all different collisions we see in Scripture. We see things like Pharaoh and Moses just colliding, right? We see things like David and Goliath colliding. But my favorite stories in Scripture about collisions, and that's what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks, my favorite stories in Scripture are when people intersect with Jesus in an unexpected way. 
where people spend, oftentimes, you know, a collision can only, it only takes a minute, two minutes at the most. A collision is very quick, but very uh, dramatic in its impact. And we see that the Gospels are littered with stories where individuals often unexpectedly encounter Jesus in such a profound way that boom, they hit it and their life is forever changed. And one of my favorite stories like that is the story of the paralyzed man. And so I felt compelled as we begin 2016 together as a church to start by looking at these stories in the scripture so that we can see a roadmap to get you and I to a place of supernatural encounter with the Son of God at the very beginning of the year. Doesn't that sound good? I, think, I thought you'd clap or something or be happy about that. Nobody was, but that's all right. So, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next four weeks, and we're going to just examine some of these stories. And I really believe that as we examine these stories, God's Spirit is going to reveal to you some very important truths about how do I intersect with the power of a living God. So you can turn to somebody next to you and just say, this is going to be great. Come on, just encourage them. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. Now, we don't know the extent of this man's paralysis, this paralyzed man, but we know he's paralyzed and certainly he can't walk. I wonder if you've ever taken some time to imagine what it would be like to be paralyzed. Now, I think that you probably haven't spent much time considering that unless you have someone very close to you who is. But, uh, but paralysis is an incredibly difficult reality, especially for a person that is used to moving around and being active. To be paralyzed in a moment through an accident or through some you know, issue with your spine or maybe a disease is an incredibly difficult, difficult thing to live with. It's not just that you can't go somewhere, right? It's not just that you can't move your arms or move your legs. It's that every aspect of your life changes because of this paralysis. And so oftentimes there's issues using the bathroom, that your, your bowels no longer work in the way that they used to work. There's oftentimes issues with keeping your body healthy since it can't move at different aspects of your body, get bed sores and all these different struggles and difficulties. Every part of your life is impacted through this paralysis. And in our day and age, you know, medical uh, doctors have come up with all type of incredible experiments to help those that are paralyzed, like wheelchairs and computer systems and all these things. But, uh, but in Luke chapter 5, the paralyzed man didn't have access to any computers or any, you know, special wheelchairs. This man was paralyzed and he could not leave unless somebody carried him physically. And so just for a moment, put yourself in the position of the paralyzed man 2,000 years ago. What would life be like? I would imagine that this man probably, just to be honest, probably had some incredible odor coming off of his body because he wasn't showering every day and his bowels were not functioning properly. And so you can kind of put two and two together. I'm sure that he smelled terrible, that just being around him was a difficulty. I could imagine that no matter how much people loved him, he spent the vast majority of his day alone. The vast majority of his life laying, looking at a roof somewhere, looking at a ceiling, alone and by himself. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a paralyzed man in Palestine 2,000 years ago? And it's interesting to me that the scriptures don't give him a name. This passage, this story is found in Mark and Matthew's gospels as well, and nobody gives the man a name. He is only known as the paralyzed man. It's incredible that a condition can become so overwhelming that it begins to take the place of your identity. Oh, that was good, by the way. You should have wrote that down. A condition can become so overwhelming that it begins to take the place of your identity. So no longer am I John or Bill or Mary or anything else. I am just the paralyzed man. 
That's who I am. I am my condition. Now, physical paralysis is only one of the different ways an individual can be paralyzed. We think of paralyzed, and we immediately think of physically, I'm frozen, my body can't move, my hands can't move, my legs can't move, and certainly that is a real physical issue, a real physical uh, uh, difficulty for sure. But there's also other ways that an individual can be frozen or paralyzed, and I want you to start to see them today. Psychologists, sociologists tell us that those that battle with alcohol and drug abuse experience a freezing or a paralysis, not physically often, but emotionally and mentally. Maybe you know someone or maybe yourself, you've struggled with a difficulty with an addiction and at first it was just a little habit and now you can't seem to go a day without smoking that or without drinking that. It's become something that controls your every day. What we found psychologically is that the time that you began this addiction, you become emotionally frozen. And so at 17 or 18 years old, you picked up the bottle and began drinking and you came to again when you were 53 and you're sitting in the chair right now and you don't feel 53 in your mind because you're still processing and thinking like a 17-year-old. You became frozen. You became emotionally paralyzed. This is a reality that occurs. You know that you can become paralyzed in your thinking. In fact, I would suggest today that that's probably the most common paralysis that occurs in the life of an individual is you can become paralyzed in your thinking. You have doubts about God. You have doubts about who he is, uncertainties. You feel like he's far away, and you say, well, what about this? And I never got an answer for that. And because of that unbelief, there's a paralysis in the way that you think, and you find that you're frozen or you're stuck in your faith. Am I talking to anybody today? Is the microphone on? Yeah. This is something that happens very frequently. The human heart hates being stuck. Don't you hate being stuck? I hate being stuck in line. I hate being stuck at the DMV. Can somebody say amen? Oh my gosh. I hate being stuck in anything. I just hate waiting. I hate in a, being stuck in a dead-end job. Have you ever had a job that you just loathe going to? And you're stuck there. You're stuck. Don't you hate that? Do you hate that feeling of, oh, get me out of here. Hopefully you're not feeling that way right now. Right? <laughs> I remember reading a story years ago about a hiker. Maybe you heard this. A hiker that was in Utah, he got trapped. He got stuck in the rocks by himself. His right arm was trapped and stuck in the rocks. And after five days of trying to get it out, he did something extreme. He took his dull pocket knife and he cut his arm off with a dull pocket knife just so that he could be unstuck. I mean, that is such a commitment. That's such a devotion to getting free, to getting unstuck. And that's exactly how some of us in the room are right now, that you are so committed and so passionate to getting unstuck that you're walking around emotionally mutilated, spiritually mutilated because you're so committed to moving forward that you haven't realized you're destroying yourself in the process because you just don't want to be stuck. You don't want to be stuck and so you're just pushing to get yourself out of it. I wonder, is there anybody in the room today that you're feeling stuck? You're in the room today and you're feeling stuck in a job that's going nowhere, stuck in a way of thinking that you just can't seem to get out of, stuck in an addiction that just keeps coming back. Stuck in a marriage that feels like it's going nowhere. Come on, I'm just being real. Stuck in debt that you can't seem to pay off. Not you guys, but other people maybe. Stuck. And little by little, you know what can happen? Is when the stuck or the frozen gets intense. It can become so intense that it actually begins to absorb your identity. 
and no longer are you Mary or Steve, now you become the paralyzed man. You become addict. You become failure. You become alone. You become loser. You become whore. And your mind gets stuck in one way of thinking about yourself and about life. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Something good happens in verse 18. Check it out. Verse 18, this is what happens. Look at it with me. It says this. It says, and behold, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. So they bring him in. Now Mark's gospel tells us it was four men, okay? Four friends of this guy bring him before Jesus. Look at verse 19 with me. It says this in verse 19. It says, but finding no way. Somebody say, no way. Finding no way, there was no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, this is crazy. Now, oftentimes in those days, there were staircases on the outside of a house. Okay, I know you probably don't have staircases on the outside of your house. But in those days, oftentimes, they'd build a staircase on the outside. And so probably what happened is these guys got to the building that Jesus was in. And they were committed to getting their friend in front of Jesus. They had already carried a paralyzed man from his home. Home, and he probably had a terrible odor and his body was probably not the best thing to look at and yet these four guys carry this guy to where Jesus is because they're so committed to getting their friend in front of Jesus and when they get there they find oh no it's full we can't get him in there's too many people at the house there's no way for us to access the room and so many of us at that point would have said well you know we tried to do our best we tried to be a helper let's head on home guys it's gonna be a long walk and so that that's maybe what they thought originally but one of the guys I believe probably had to, just a wild idea and said, no, 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 no. We've come this far. We got to get this guy in here. We got to get Hezekiah in to see Jesus. We don't have his name, right? We got to get him in. And so what could we do? What could we do? And they just look, whose house is this anyways? How fast could we run once they realize what we've done? Let's just build a man-sized hole right in their roof. And so they carry this guy up on the roof. And just to get the picture, there were no shingles in those days. There were these beams that typically a house was made with beams. And on top of the beams, they would put, uh, you know, like a, like a thatch, like some type of a, 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 a plant or something to kind of catch the dirt. Because on top of that, they would then put dirt. So beams and then this straw or hay and then dirt, okay? And then on top of the dirt, they would put tiles. And so imagine now digging a man-sized hole through clay tiles, dirt, you know, uh, brush or or reeds and then and then wood and so you can imagine that this is making a terrible mess right it's making a terrible mess you're digging a hole in somebody else's roof and it's not just a little hole the size of a football this is a hole the size of a man and you're digging this massive hole in the roof just so that your friend can get in front of Jesus and then somehow they probably borrowed some rope that they found and they tied it up their friend and they dropped him down they said you know buddy don't worry about it you can't feel your legs anyways if we drop you hard you're gonna be fine and they just drop him down in there and Boom, it's not going to get any worse, right? Boom, he lands right in front of Jesus. Now, you can imagine that whosoever house this was was probably like, what is happening right now? And then you're thinking, well, who's going to pay for this? Somebody got injured by all the dust in their face. I have an allergic reaction to dust. What's happening? All these different things going on that the scripture doesn't mention but must have been going on. All so that they could get their friend in front of Jesus. You need some friends like that. Come on, who needs some friends like that in the room? You need some friends like that. And as I was thinking about what this means to us today, I was struck by this idea. It was their extraordinary commitment 
that made these friends so effective. They were so committed to really two things. They were committed to Jesus. In other words, they were just, they weren't like, well, let's get our, friends in, our friend in front of anybody. No, no. They said, let's get our friend in front of the Son of God. We know that he's got power and we want to get our friend in front of him. That was the first thing. But the second thing is they were actually committed to this guy. So committed to him. They said, listen, we know you can't get there yourself, but we are so committed to you that we're going to drag your lifeless body all the way here so we can get you in front of Jesus. Church, it's 2016, and if you were around for 2015, you know it was a crazy year. It was a great year. We saw so many people meet Christ. Many of you in the church right now, you're here because you met Christ in 2015. We've seen so many lives changed, people healed, lives restored. So many great things have happened in this past year, but I'm telling you right now, God has greater things for us in 2016. Do you believe that? He does. He has greater things for us in 2016. But you know what needs to define our church? You know what needs to be the defining characteristic of who we are? It's not that we need to be the most intelligent or the most attractive. It's not that we need to be the most talented. If we're going to see many people meet Jesus and the gospel advance in our day, it's going to be this extreme commitment that defines us. I dream of being a church, look at me just for a second, a church full of people who aren't just names in a crowd, who aren't just coming in and coming out, but people who find one or two or three or four or five friends and they begin to build a little team that says, listen, I'm with you, I'm in this. You can't have deep relationship with 100 people, but you can have deep relationship with four or five. You can have deep relationship with a few. You know, by the way, community group signups, it's a great time to start building some deep relationship. But you can have deep relationship with a few people and you say, yeah, I don't know everybody at City Church, but I know Joe and I know Steve and I know Mark and we do life together. And listen, when I'm sick, they're there to take care of me. And when they break their arm, I'm there to help them. And listen, if they have a need, I'm, if they die, I'm going to raise their kids. I'm so committed to them that no matter what they do in life, I got two things that I will always do for them. One is I'm going to bring them before Jesus. And the other is that I'm going to invest in them. Come on, somebody. That's the essence of a life-changing church. That's the church I want to be a part of. I wonder if you'd join me in that. I wonder if you would consider not just being a name in a crowd, consider not just being a person in a seat, a butt in a chair, but instead be a part of the church. Be the part that God's called you to be. Because here's the crazy thing. Take a look at this, verse 20. Verse 20. And when they saw, and, and when he, excuse me, Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Hold on a second, hold on a second. Whose faith did Jesus see? He didn't see the paralyzed man's faith. He saw the friend's faith. He saw the four friends' faith, and he said, your sins are forgiven, and he's about to heal him. Here's a little nugget for you if you want to jot this down. Your faith has the potential to release your brother's miracle. That is so transformative. That was worth coming to church for right there. Your faith has the potential to, to, to actually release your brother's miracle. In other words, when I pray for my brother, when I bring him before Jesus, I'm telling you, there's somebody that you need to be bringing before Jesus every day. When I pray for my sister, when I bring her before Jesus, when I care for her, when I help meet her needs, when I pray for her, when I lift her up, I have the potential to release the miracle that God wants to do in her life through my prayers. That's what we see in this. It was the faith of these friends 
that released the miracle that this guy needed. And then he says something unexpected. He says there in verse 20, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. I wonder, stay with me for a second, I wonder what people were feeling in that moment, right? Like, first of all, the, the friends, what were those guys feeling? They're up on the roof, and they're up there, you know, they lowered him down, and they're like all looking at each other like, do we run now? Are we going to get arrested? What just happened? We just dug a big hole in this guy's roof. And then, and then they're like, hey, what's he saying? What's he saying down there? And they're like, I don't know, is he healed? No, he's still laying there. What's he, he's, he's saying his sins are forgiven. I mean, I could imagine they were just mildly disappointed in that moment, right? Like, does he not see that he's not walking? Like, can't we deal with that? Like, what is he doing? A little confusion maybe from the friends. And then the religious people in the room, we see exactly what they were thinking. Look, it tells us right here in verse 21. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Now, blasphemy in that day was, a, was a, 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 an offense that was, was, you know, you could be put to death for, okay? And so he's saying, who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise up and walk? Now, this is interesting. What is Jesus doing here in this moment? I want to tell you today that Jesus is really doing two things at the same time. All right, the first thing that he's doing is he's using this opportunity with this paralyzed man to reveal his divinity. He is displaying for the people there that he truly is God in the flesh. Okay, he's setting them up. And so what he's doing is he's saying, son, your sins are forgiven. And now all the reaction of the religious people is, hold on, hold on. Only God can forgive sins. And you can't forgive sins because you're not, if you were God, you could forgive sins. But since you're not, you can't do that. And then Jesus says, well, which one's easier? Which one's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? And I would probably say that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no way to check. So Mark, your sins are forgiven. How do you know that that's true? I don't have the Lamb's Book of Life handy to go, oh yeah, they are. Like, I don't have that. And so I could tell you all day your sins are forgiven, but I have no evidence that it's actually happened. And so Jesus uses this healing as an opportunity to display his divinity by saying, listen, I can do both. And so you know the sins of this man have been forgiven. Let me prove it through a miracle. Rise and walk. And the man is healed. And in his healing, it displays that the first account, the first decree was also true. His sins were forgiven. But there's something else that God is doing here, something else that Jesus is doing here, and it's for you today. Hear me. He is teaching us how to get unstuck. He is teaching us how to see the paralysis in our lives healed. I wonder if you're stuck, feeling stuck in a marriage, feeling stuck in a way of thinking, feeling stuck in your debt, feeling stuck in your job, feeling stuck in your life. Jesus displays for us how to get unstuck. You know, when Christopher Reeve fell off the horse, there was nothing physically wrong with his toes, nothing physically wrong with his fingers. The problem was not his hands, the problem was not his knees, the problem was not his feet, right? The problem was, stay with me today, a disconnection with the head, right? He hurt his back, and in hurting his back, it disconnected the nerves that would communicate from the head to the body. And so we find that paralysis is actually a byproduct of a disconnection. You all following me so far? Paralysis is a byproduct of a disconnection. And so what we see here is that Jesus uses this paralyzed man to illustrate a bigger reality. 
that this paralysis is a byproduct of something else. And so he repairs the connection. He says your sins are forgiven, and the result of repairing the connection is it cures the symptoms, which in this man's case was a physical disease, right? He was paralyzed. So here's what I'm trying to get at. The big problem in your life is not the problem that you see. The problem with your job, the problem with your spouse, the problem with your money, the problem with your fears, the problem with your anxiety, the problem with all the different things you see, they are real and honest problems and God cares about them. But to really get them out of your life in 2016, you can deal with symptoms all day or you can learn the root of the problem and begin to see it eradicated from the inside. Okay, and so this is what we begin to see. So the big problem of humanity is that you have, in fact, fallen off your horse. That you have fallen off your high horse and sin has severed the connection between you and God. This is the human condition. The disease is sin, but the symptoms of the disease manifest in a thousand different ways. They manifest through insecurity. They manifest through doubt. They manifest through compulsions. They manifest through destructive ways of thinking. It manifests through anxiety. It manifests through a broken world and a sick body. This doesn't mean that you sinned and now you're sick. That's not what I'm saying. That's an oversimplified version. It means that we live in a sinful world and because of that death and sickness fear and anxiety lack and anger rule in all different spheres of life and so what Jesus is doing here is he's showing them listen because I can cure the root I can then extinguish the fruit so the paralyzed man receives what he needed most but what he didn't know that he needed and it becomes the catalyst for his healing and so Jesus says to him stay with me Jesus says son your sins are forgiven you. And in that moment, I could imagine that the paralyzed man was thinking a whole lot of things. But one thought I'd be thinking is, well, which sins? I have more than one. My past sins? Yeah, all your past sins. What about my current sins? I got some, anybody got current sins? Current sins, four of us. The rest of you are liars, so now you have a current sin. My current sins too, yeah. Yeah, what about my future sins, the ones I don't even know I've committed yet? This is where the human brain starts to get stretched. Wait, wait a minute, what about the ones I haven't even, are you saying, Jesus, that even the ones I haven't even committed yet are already forgiven? And here the paralyzed man experiences a collision with the love of God, a collision with what Christians call the gospel, the mystery and the beauty of the good news of Jesus, that Jesus from the beginning of time was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus stood on a cross in time 2,000 years ago, but in the eyes of the Father who is outside of time, he has for all time always been the plan to redeem humanity. And when Jesus hung on a cross, church, when Jesus hung on a cross, he absorbed the wrath of God for your sin so that every single ounce of your sin could be completely absolved so that all guilt for all past, present, and future sins could be forgiven so that all debts could be canceled so that you could be adopted and so that God could eternally say to you, regardless of your behavior, I am for you. 
This is the secret and the mystery and the beauty and the glory of the good news. It's as if on the cross, Jesus injected into the spine of humanity grace. And this grace had the capacity to sever together the broken vertebrae so that now the head could communicate with the body. So that now God himself could communicate with his people, could communicate with creation. And before you know it, things that weren't working start working again. Things that were broken become alive. The mind that is at peace with God, finds tranquility, finds stability, finds a sound condition. I'm telling you, the problems in your mind are rooted in the truth that you haven't experienced fully, that God is for you, and that all your sins are forgiven. That's the problem in your mind. And you can take a medication and thank God, sometimes they can be helpful, but deep in the bones, you need to know you're right with God. And when you know you're right with God, everything changes in the mind. Everything changes. See, relationships You can go to a thousand counseling sessions and try to have better management and communication. And those are helpful things. But I'm telling you, really, relationships get healed and restored, come alive when they understand one and the other that I'm right with God, that I'm at peace with my creator, that he's for me, that he loves me, that he's in me, that he's with me, that his power is pulsating through me. And when you start thinking like that, you find a new love for your spouse. You find a new patience with her. I'm telling you, addiction, you can battle the symptoms all day. Try to stop smoking that. Try to stop drinking that. Try to have friends to help you. All of that is good, and you should do it. But if you really want to root out addiction in your life this year, if you really want to be free from pornography, if you really want to be free from addiction to alcohol or from addiction to drugs or whatever it is that you struggle with, I'm telling you, get the revelation inside of you that God has already fully forgiven you, that he has washed your debt away from beginning to end, and that he's planted his spirit in your heart so now that the power of Jesus presides in you, and so now you can take that same power, access it by grace, put it towards your addiction, and find the ability to break free that you never had on your own. Gosh, come on, I'm preaching today. Wake up. Life becomes full of purpose, full of miracles, full of healing. When grace is at the center, pulsating through all of our conversations and thinking, I want to encourage you to take some advice from a paralyzed man today. Or maybe we should say a formerly paralyzed man. Take some advice from a formerly paralyzed man because he does something extreme. He does whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus. Some of us have this casual attitude towards our faith. Throw it away in 2016. Get hungry for God. Put him first in your pursuits. Put him first in your prayer. Find time alone to study his scripture. Find time alone to fast and to pray in secret places. And I am telling you, if you will do it, something starts to come alive in your life. This paralyzed man or formerly paralyzed man put Christ first and just hungered for him above anything else. And he got himself to the place where he was surrendered at the feet of Jesus. And friend, here's the crazy thing is that if you today, 2,000 years later, would do whatever it takes to get to God, do whatever it takes to surrender your heart, do whatever it takes to open your life, if you would have the courage to do that, I can guarantee you he's saying the same thing to you that he said to this man. Son! Your sins are no longer an issue. You're forgiven. You're washed. You're accepted. You're adopted. I love you. Listen to me. Stop fighting against my love. Stop trying to earn something that's free. Stop trying to resist something that you can't understand. His love will go past your mind. It will violate your sense of justice. And when you receive it fully, you find the capacity to actually be free. Here's what I want you to think about today. 
when grace gets on the inside, paralyzed things come alive. Look at that with me. Think about that thought for a moment today. When grace gets on the inside, paralyzed things come alive. Paralyzed things come alive. And I believe that this is a year I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And as I studied this passage, I felt like God was giving me not just an understanding of the passage, but a prophetic word for our church in 2016. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was just simply saying, listen to me, paralyzed things are coming alive. Paralyzed things. You've been fighting for your marriage for 10 years. You're barely getting anywhere. In Jesus' name, this year, paralyzed things are coming alive. You've been stuck in this job not wondering, wondering what God has for you, wondering why it's so empty. I'm telling you right now, paralyzed things this year are starting to come alive. You say, inwardly, I've been struggling with this same fear, with this same addiction, with this same anxiety. I'm telling you, this year, paralyzed things are coming alive. Grace has got to get on the inside. First, he says, your sins are forgiven. Second, he says, rise up and walk. And today, he's saying to you, would you come? Would you come just like this formerly paralyzed man did? Would you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus? Would you find a way, whatever it takes, to get there? And when you get there, would you just look up to him? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to explain your past. You don't have to come with a perfected laundry list of your failures. You just have to look. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Would you stand your feet with me this morning? Where are you stuck? Where are you stuck? Why don't you take a moment and just ponder that question. Where are you stuck this morning? Where do you need to be unstuck this year? Because I've been praying for you and I believe that God wants to meet you right now today. Here at City Church at the 9 a.m. service, God wants to meet you right now. Where are you stuck? Because here's what I've been praying for all week. I've been praying not for just good words or insight to a scripture. I've been praying for an encounter, for a collision, for a collision with God, for you and for me. A collision with his love. A collision with the God who puts no borders on his affections for you. A collision with a God who is not holding your past against you. A collision for a God who receives you as you are so he can transform you into who you're called to be. He doesn't wait until you're fixed. He takes you just as you are. Oh, my prayer for you today is that you receive this collision with his presence. That right now, right here as we sing this song this morning, that the spirit of God starts to break in. That this wall you've put around your heart, these excuses you've made, these struggles you've had start to crumble under the weight of his love for you. And that you begin this year with me with a blazing confidence that my God has forgiven me. That he's accepted me when I was unacceptable that he's been patient with me when I was unworthy. And that right now, I am right with God. What could separate us from the love of Christ? Only your unbelief. That's the only thing. It's the only thing. Demons can't, sins can't, failures can't, circumstances can't. Would you cross the line? Come on, God's spirit is in the room today. Would you cross the line and say, God, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. 
I believe I'm accepted. I believe I'm adopted. And then begin to lift up to him the paralysis. Begin to lift up to him the area of lack, the area where you're stuck. Would you just lift your hands this morning as a sign of surrender to Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you come right now into the room? Would you begin to move among your people right now? God, we don't didn't come here to hear a nice uh, message. We didn't come here to sing a nice song. We came here to meet you. We came here because we needed an encounter with your presence. We came here because we knew that it's only your spirit that can really set us free. God, I believe you have profound things for this year, that you care about the details, and that you're here right now, and you're moving by your spirit. Lord, I loose the presence of your spirit in the room right now. I loose the presence of your spirit to heal the sick. I lose the presence of your spirit to redeem the broken. I lose the presence of the spirit, God, to forgive the offended, God. Lord, right now we release an offense that we have to mom, to dad, to brother, to sister, to boss, to former boss. We release every offense in our heart. God, right now we forgive. Right now we open our heart. Right now we say yes to grace. Right now we say we believe and we receive your presence in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to you through this message. For more information on City Church, check out ourcitychurch.org.